This episode may contain content of a graphic nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. I'm Nikki. And I'm Mariah. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Body to Burial. All right. So you're ready for today's episode? Yeah, I am. I feel like today is a good one because I feel this is the one that everybody knows because it's after the TV show. Oh. CSI. CSI. So we've got Jacqueline, who's a crime scene investigator. Nice. This is what I, if I could have turned back time, I wanted to be in life. Was that you think this is your job? Yeah, but then once we start talking to them, it's so different. Than yeah, like I was going to say, I, I want to see after the conversation if you still think that. But as of right now, going in, your yeah. alternative job Yeah, choice. like it would have been if life went down a different path. Okay. Okay. But yeah, this, I, I think I, but then I don't know, you know? I mean, that's just how it always is with these jobs because you think you get the gist of it, yeah. right? Because of CSI. And then it's kind of like, oh, I don't know. Right? I don't know. But then hostage negotiator, that one was pretty cool. I think I could do that. I mean, that was amazing too. I don't have the patience for that. <laughs> I, I I really don't feel like I do. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm going to need you just to come out of the building now. So I couldn't do <laughs> weeks. No. No, see, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. No, I need something with more of a instant gratification. You're more autopsy turnaround. tech. Yeah, I'm going to get it done. I'm going to cross it off the list. Yeah. So I'm curious, is this job a quick cross off or is she lingering for days and days? If I'm being fully honest, I don't know what her duties are and where they end. Because on the show, right, they're communicating with so many different people and so many different lab employees, etc. So where does her line actually stop? We'll find out. That I don't know. I'm excited to talk to her. I know. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting because in those shows, she does everything or he does everything. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. They're everywhere talking to everyone. Move Moving the needle. Yeah. So I'm curious to see how much truth there is to that. And sidebar, I'm very excited about this guest because this came from one of our listeners. They referred us to her. So to anyone that's listening, if you know someone that you think would make an excellent guest, send us a message. You can send us a DM on Instagram or email us. But we'd love to talk to anyone that you think would be an interesting guest. So awesome. That's fun. Yeah, I love it. So yeah, I'm so glad we could make it happen for her to bring her friend on to talk to. I know, I'm excited. All right, well, let's bring her on. Okay. All right, let's get her. Hello. Hey, Jacqueline. It's Mariah. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. We are so excited to talk to you. So thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks for asking. (laughs) Nikki is very, very excited because she has always (laughs) said this would be her job if her life had gone in a different direction. (laughs) Yeah. So... Yeah, so I love hearing that. (laughs) I always thought I'm going to be a CSI crime scene investigator, but I'm a hairstylist, so it didn't really work out. (laughs) Hey, that's okay. We all have our role. You know, we all have. (laughs) So Right? (laughs) Yeah. So it's a little different path, but, you know, now we're doing this so I can talk to people that do jobs that I would love to do. (laughs) Right. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, you're, you're getting your fix. We found a way. Exactly. So Jacqueline, what is your official title? Is it CSI? Yeah. So my official title is Crime Scene Evidence and Property Technician. Currently, I work for a smaller jurisdiction. So I not only perform the crime scene duties, but I also do the evidence and property room, 
But depending on the agency, we're called different things. So you can be a forensic scientist, you can be a criminalist, a crime scene investigator, crime scene tech, forensic services tech was my last title. So depending on the department and the state, we have many titles. (laughs) But the job itself, even with those different titles, is relatively the same. It's relatively the same. So I have to ask, because I'm assuming a lot of people hear your job and are like, like the TV show. So how (laughs) accurate is that compared to what you actually do? So it's not. And it's funny because a lot of people ask me that, especially when you go to crime scenes and you're talking to victims. Like, let's say I'm powder processing somebody's house because it got burglarized and the victim's watching me and she's like, oh, is it just like TV? And I always like to say it's cooler than TV. (laughs) Like my job (laughs) is so cool. I personally think that it is cooler than TV. So they do not portray it correctly. Uh, which can get frustrating because it's a battle every time I go to testify. I have to think to myself, you really have to, with respect, dumb down the science Mm -hmm. to the jury because you're fighting against that CSI effect that TV has created. Yeah. So it can be a little frustrating, but if you just take the time to explain kind of what we do, because if you're not in the field, it is hard to grasp. And I think that's with any profession, right? Sure. When I testify, I tell the jury that I'm a professional fact finder. And so I'm just there to find the facts of whatever the crime scene tells me because people lie, but evidence doesn't. And so I am analyzing that crime scene. Why don't you walk us through your job? A call comes in, what happens? Sure. So a call comes in and they'll request crime scene unit to respond. So I kind of typically try to get a few details regarding the case, what type of call that they have. And that helps me to figure out what resources I may need because Can I interrupt you really quick? Sorry, Jacqueline, I'm going to probably do this a lot, but just for clarification. (laughs) Yeah, get ready. I'm really annoying with my. No, that's okay. No, go for it. Go for it. Uh, Nikki's laughing at me because she knows it's true. I'm like an annoying toddler. Sure, sure. Go for it. Who is the call coming from that notifies you? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. So with the crime scene unit, I'm a civilian. And depending on the department, like my old agency, we had sworn in civilian in the crime scene unit. So some departments, they're all sworn. Some are all civilian. Some are a mix. But regardless, you work for that police department as either a sworn or a civilian position. So I kind of say that I'm the last responder to the scene because the crime has happened. The primary patrol officer has responded. Maybe a detective has responded and then they call me. I get notified usually through that primary officer, whether that's a phone call or over the radio. I have a quick question. I'm going to be like Mariah now. What does that mean to be a civilian where you aren't a sworn in police officer? Is that what that means? That's correct. Yeah. So a lot of crime scene jobs and a lot of agencies had switched over to hiring civilian forensic scientists. Really? Yes. It is a specialized field and you usually need a science background. Okay. So my background when I went to school, forensic science was just becoming kind of a thing within the last 10 years for the civilian to go to school for. But my undergrad was in criminal justice. And then I have my master's in forensic science. Yeah, because I was going to say, it's not like I'm going to go to the police department and sign in. 
and become right. this. <laughs> right. Okay. You have to be qualified. So okay. and yes. civilians are, and I say this with respect, but they're usually more qualified than sworn in the crime scene unit. And that is because they've had that specialized training. So there are some departments, I know my last agency, officers would have to have so many years on the road and then they could apply to crime lab and then they would have additional specialized training within forensic science and they would train with all the various disciplines in crime lab. So civilians, you can honestly pay less, but then they're technically more qualified. So departments are catching on and they're hiring civilians. Let's take you back to where you had said your call came in. So you're trying to collect details. So that's another thing is I like to see how big the scene is. So it's nice to know what happened. How big is the scene? Do we have multiple scenes? Do I have multiple locations I'm going to respond to? And that'll kind of dictate if I need to call somebody else in to help me out or if I think I can handle it myself. So once we kind of figure that out, it helps to know what chemicals, variety of different things I need to maybe bring to the scene to process it that's not always left in my car because they're temperature controlled items. So that's another reason why we ask all these questions. So I gather all that information and then I head to the head out to the scene. Once I get to the scene, I try to find a point of contact. So that's usually that primary officer or that detective. And this is personally what I like to do. I don't really know if it's everyone's practice, but I like to walk through the scene with the primary officer because I want to see the scene through their eyes. That officer and myself and then a detective, we're all going to analyze and see that scene differently. And it's not a bad thing. It's actually a great thing. But I want to see what they're seeing in their eyes. So I'm very quiet. I just listen to what they have to say. And then I do another walkthrough as I'm taking photographs and kind of search the scene on my own. Is the deceased person, if there is one, still on the scene when you show up or has the body usually been removed at this point? No. So it just depends. Let's say it's a shooting scene and somebody is shot and EMS is like, hey, they're not dead. We're going to transport them to the hospital. Okay, well, now I have two scenes. I have to go to the hospital and I have to go to the actual crime scene. So sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not. And it kind of just depends. But if they do pronounce dead on the scene, then the crime scene tape goes up. They make the the scene secure and they wait until I respond. And once I get there, it's my scene. And we're there until I'm done with all of my work. (laughs) So you said that you walked with the officer and then now you're going to walk And look, what are you looking for this time now that you're on your own? Yeah, so I'm listening to kind of how the call came out and what he saw or she. And then I'm just kind of analyzing the scene. So I'm just kind of reading the evidence. So, for example, if he tells me that, you know, somebody suffered some trauma and depending on what the wounds look like could depend on the weapon and was that left on scene or let's follow that blood trail or the different blood stain patterns. What will happen is they'll have an area of interest is what I like to say. And I search all through there and then I expand my search out just to make sure that we didn't miss anything. And I document that crime scene through photography. And then I'll walk the crime scene again after I marked all my evidence. And I will usually walk with the detective or with that primary officer. And I'll be like, how does this look to you? I'm gonna collect X, Y, and Z. I've done this, I processed this. I took measurements on this and we kind of make sure we come to agreement that we did everything that we could 
at this crime scene and I'm able to collect that evidence now and package it. What about when it's said and done and everything's over? Do you, do you just leave everything there like, okay, got my stuff and I'm gone? So if I put rulers out, if I put field markers out, those items I pick up. Like if I use chemicals, if I use powder, I'm leaving that on scene. Now, I have before in the past a lot, especially at burglaries of a home. I will always ask the victim. I'm like, listen, I'm going to get my powder everywhere. Do you have a towel I can put down? I will tell people how to clean the powder up because I do feel bad. I mean, I'll make a mess. We, <laughs> we don't mean to, but we're trying to get some fingerprints for you. But I do feel bad. And I'll put a towel down and I'll move it around with me as I go through the house. Is that hard working with with the victims are there? Are they usually wanting to be with you at every step? and kind of go along with you? They do. They want to watch me. They have a lot of questions and I'll answer them. Usually it's it's asking me like, oh, is it like the TV or can you fingerprint this? So they'll ask me questions and I can multitask so I don't mind talking to them. You know, they're curious and I think it's important because you never know. Maybe they'll sit on the jury one day. Okay, I definitely have some questions. So I'm going to bring you back to the crime scene for a minute. And I don't know if it's just easier to do a hypothetical shooting or stabbing. Let's just go with the shooting. Let's say you're working a shooting at a crime scene. So you show up, you do the walkthrough, you do your individual walkthrough. Is there a checklist of what you're doing? So yeah, there is a checklist, but it's in my brain. So I arrive on scene, I document my time of arrival and who I'm at. I immediately put on gloves because... I put on PPE, protective gear, before I even enter the scene. And anyone that wants to come in the scene needs to wear it as well. And that's just to try to preserve the scene as much as possible because it's already going to be disturbed by victims, witnesses, patrol. It's just going to happen. So we just want to like decrease that as much as possible. And then it depends on what it is, but we all kind of have a checklist of what things need to get done. So you need to document the crime scene really well because once you leave, you can't get that back. And these photos are going to be used as an investigative tool. They're going to be used in court. So I even reference the photos as I'm writing my report. So those are one of the most important things. So documentation is is key, especially before you pick anything up, because you want to document how the scene was when you arrived. And then after I pick everything up, I also document how the scene is like right before I leave as well. And then also sometimes you only have very little or limited information. So you don't necessarily know what may be important. For example, taking overall photographs of every room in a house. Let's say the shooting happened in the living room, but there's something of interest in that bedroom upstairs, but you don't know until detectives interview hours later. But you have those photographs to rely on, for example. So you want to document the scene really well. And then you want to mark any items of interest or any evidence that you're going to collect. And then what we do is we take photographs as the scene is, and then we would document items that we would collect. And before you would collect them, you're going to redo all your photographs. And you do overall photographs, mid-range photographs, and close-up with or without scale. So you have plenty of documentation. When you say with scale, that's the ruler thing that I always see, like the little L-shaped ruler. Yes, with the ruler, yeah, or with a field marker, absolutely. You're also going to do some type of crime scene sketch. And you can do that by hand, where you're going to sketch a bird's eye view of the crime scene and you're going to take measurements. So if you wanted to do a crime scene reconstruction, you could go off your crime scene sketch 
And then this sketch can also be used as an investigative tool later on as well for detectives. It's always brought up in court to give the jury kind of an idea, that bird's eye view of the crime scene and where everything was at. Are you a good drawer? <laughs> I'm pretty decent. You don't have to get like, my bed is like a square and it says bed on it, right? Oh, okay. Because like, <laughs> I'm like yeah. a sketch. That's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay. So re- okay. yeah, remember it's like a bird's eye view. So if you were like floating above the crime scene, what would that look like? Oh, okay. Like you can do like dresser and you write like maybe dresser or something. Yeah, make it like a rectangle. Yes. My bodies are kind of like stick figures. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that is really detailed. <laughs> okay. I, they have to be like on point. You get OCD and you love the details. <laughs> Mariah, but, this is for you. I know. That's what I'm saying. I am OCD. So you give me that checklist. Give me every little detail. I'll tell you Sorry. how much dust is in the corner of that room. You got it. So then after that, after you the crime scene sketch, then you would collect your evidence. And it, unless any, anything else needs to be processed. So the crime scene, depending on what you have, you may need to process additionally. Like, for example, if you have some footwear you would do footwear photography for that. If you had some bloody prints, you could use some chemicals to enhance that and then photograph that. So just making sure that you have everything. And then pretty much one of the last things you would do is package all your evidence. And what does that mean? You're putting it in the little baggies? Yeah, depending on what it is. um, You know, there's rules, even like how you package an item, preserving it is very important because if you don't do it properly, then you could mess up future lab examination. For example, I don't really like using plastic. So anything that would be bloody or have any potential DNA, biological matter on it, you would never put in plastic. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So you have to be conscious about and you have to be aware of. And this is the things that you study about in school, the reasons why or what you use. So what would you put that in? It depends on what it is, but oops, brown paper, something breathable. You don't want... Oh, breathable. Yes. Yeah. So plastic isn't really our friend unless it's it's drugs we're collecting. Then I'll put it in plastic. But nine times out of 10, I'm using brown bags or envelopes. I would have thought it's so different because I would think that that would, the brown bag would soak up the blood instead of the plastic that you can kind of just smear it off or something. Right. So let's let's say it is wet. I would still put it in a brown bag. And then when we got back to the office, we have drying lockers and we would hang those items up to dry. And then you would put them in an additional brown bag. Oh. So you have nothing leaking and that it's dry because you don't want anything to mold. And that w- that's what would happen. So initially I'm putting things in brown bags. And then if they are wet, they're going to get dried before they're packaged in their forever bag. <laughs> okay. So now we're, we've collected it all. Now what? Now we go back to the lab, as long as we don't have any of their calls holding. Okay. We go back to the lab, and then this is where you're going to get really detailed in your description of what the item is, and you're going to input all the items into whatever system you have to catalog it. So give me an example of that. If you have a shoe, what is your description for that? How detailed are you getting? So I would say one black tennis shoe, or one tennis shoe black in color, size nine, right foot with possible blood covered from living room floor parentheses fm1 for field marker one because i marked it with my field marker and that's that little yellow triangle tent yeah with the numbers that has like numbers on it yep (laughs) i would also name the brand like one i would say like brand nike yeah so i want like brands 
sizes? Is it left or right? Is there possible blood on it? We do know if there are defects. That's what I like to call them defects. So defects usually means that it was made like it's a defect, like if somebody got shot in the foot. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to call it a gunshot wound, even though it's nine times out of 10 probably is a gunshot wound, but I'm going to call it a defect. I know that it's probably, it's blood on scene, but we never say. You're not definitively saying. Yeah, I say possible blood because at the end of the day, did I test it? And am I, am I a biologist? Again, I'm finding you the fact. So it's possible blood. So we do notate defect in items. I think that is important. Sometimes if they're dirty, I'll just notate that like with possible dirt. So you kind of want to get as just descriptive as you can. And then you also have your photos to fall back on just so there's no question at all with what item this is. So I like to get pretty detailed oriented in my descriptions. And then after that, it gets packaged for a shoe. I would put in a brown bag. We tape it up and you sign your seal, which is starting that chain of custody. Sign my seal. It's my name and the date, depending on what department you work for. It could be the case number. It could be your ID number, but it's at least your initials and the date. Is that to prove that it's processed and you did it? It touched your hands. And if something was wrong with it, then it's comes back to you? Yeah, in court, it, they'll ask me like, how do you know that this is your item of evidence? And I'm like, well, it has, it's my item because I put it in the system and I also packaged, sealed and signed it. Like that is, oh, okay. that is my item. There's my signature right there. Anytime you open up evidence, that person is going to open it at a different location, like on the bag or on the packaging. And then they're, once they're done, they're going to repackage it in the same packaging and then they're going to sign their seal. So it's like a physical chain of custody that you can see on the exterior of that package. And then what happens after so long and the case is done and do you just have evidence upon evidence in like multiple storage places or it gets destroyed at a certain point? So that's a good question. It kind of depends on what it is. It'll depend on what case it's for. It'll depend on if it's been solved, if it's been to court, is the suspect still like carrying out his court sentence? Because he can appeal anytime. And if he wants to appeal, he or she, then they need all that evidence. So you actually have to house evidence for a rather long time. So it could be housed for like 20 years. Like say they come up for parole in 20 years, they can try to appeal and then you got to bring all that stuff back up. Exactly. So like homicide evidence that pretty much like you have it for life. And especially if that suspect is found guilty and then like whatever his his sentences. Yes, you have to keep that evidence for at least that long. (laughs) That's funny. We just talked to remember, Mariah, when we talked to Charles, he said he wanted to put a sign on his on his door that says it just depends. Yes, that's true. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) That was their department slogan. (laughs) Yeah, it it is true because it's crime scene and forensic. Some of it's very black and white, but then some of it's not. Some of it's really not. It's like all the shades of rainbow. And so you just it just depends. Like every crime scene is a little bit different. Like I've had probably, because I've been in this field for eight years now, I probably had every like type of crime multiple times. I can't think of one case I haven't had yet. However, every case is different. So even though I've had hundreds of homicides, they've all been different. Same with suicide. Oh, I didn't even think about that actually as part of the job. Oh yeah. Overdoses, robberies, home invasions, kidnappings. Yes. Sometimes you consistently see or like you're looking for the same thing because you've done this type of crime, like process this type of crime scene, I should say over and over again, but there are new aspects and every scene is different. You always should have an open mind that 
you're going to be thrown a curveball and that not every scene is going to be the same the same way. So it just depends. <laughs> One of the things that was popping in my head is you said you bring it back to the lab and you guys start testing. So I know you're familiar with our podcast. So mm -hmm. let's say we have Juan who is a fingerprint examiner. So is this where you essentially pass it over to someone like them that is specific in whatever they need to analyze? How do you work with those individuals? Sure. So it's going to depend on, this is just per agency and kind of how they're set up. So at my old jurisdiction in our crime lab, sometimes the crime scene unit will do two things. They're the road tech and then the other half of their job is in the lab. And sometimes they're specializing in a different discipline in forensics. And then sometimes they're just the road tech. So it kind of just depends on how that agency is set up. At my old lab, we would do some of the processing. So let's say there's a gun and the detective's like, hey, can you try to pull DNA and fingerprints off this gun? And if I collected the gun, then that's exactly what I would do. So I would swab it for DNA and then I would process it from fingerprint. And if I got any fingerprints, then I would turn those into the latent print examiner and then they would begin their examination. But some jurisdictions have it where the latent print examiner is processing all the evidence for latent print. I used to do the processing, so I would do half of the lab work. Does that kind of make sense? So sometimes we're not just Rotex, we're doing some of the in-lab stuff. And it's usually swabbing for DNA and then processing for latent print. But there are some jurisdictions where some crime scene units are trained to, in, they, and they're certified as well, that they do both. They do the latent print examination as well, or they may be like part-time in or specialized in like the firearms unit. So it kind of just depends on how that department is structured. Okay. That makes sense. And then how many photographs are you taking of one crime scene? Cause I remember you had said that you were taking like overhead shots and side shots and you know, all these different angles. I mean, is it upwards of 2000 a crime scene like how many photos are we looking at um again it just depends on what the crime scene <laughs> is <laughs> oh, <laughs> it depends. i know i know i'll tell you this though i'll tell you this so i'll walk you through like for example you want an overall of your scene so let's say the living room I would probably stand at each corner of the living room and take two or three photographs. And I want those photographs to be as much from the floor to the ceiling as possible. And I want a little bit of it to overlap. So I'm not missing anything in my photos. So just for that one room, I'm taking 12 at least. That's just my overall. And then mid-range, which is what shows relation. So I'm kind of, I'm trying to show the location of an item of evidence in the scene. So if I have an item and let's say it's close to the front door, I am going to make a triangle with my, myself. So the camera, and then let's say my edge of my door frame and then my item of evidence. So that makes a triangle. So you can see how approximately just visually how far away that item of evidence is from that door frame, if that makes sense. And then I'm taking a close-up photo and that close-up photo is a bird's eye view of just the item of interest. And that's for every item of evidence that I collect. I want to show you where it's at in the scene overall. Then I want to show you where it's located approximately to a fixed point. And then I want to show you some close-up photos of just filling the frame with just that item of evidence. So I could go to a shooting scene or a homicide scene and take several hundred 
easily. And that's just at that scene. And then I can go to the hospital and let's say our victims. Yeah. Could you explain that? Because when you had said, oh, if they get transported to the hospital, then that's the second scene. Are you taking pictures of their injuries, I'm assuming? Yep. So you take an overall photo of your subject. So the person you're photographing. And then I always take a nice one of their face. And then let's say they're shot in the arm. So I'm taking a, a nice overall photograph of the entire right arm. And then let's say he or she is shot right below the elbow. Again, I want to fix point making that triangle of where that shot is at on the right arm. And then I'm taking an even close up to where it's just that injury and that photograph. And let's say he has like four or five different injuries. I'm doing that for all of them. And then I'm probably collecting his or her clothing as well. How long is your whole process start to finish? Your call, you come to when you leave the like a scene. Is that an all day thing? Multiple day thing? Well, if the scene requires a lot of processing, then it's going to take longer, obviously. Some scenes you may only have, like, let's say it's a burglary of a home. Let's say there's only a couple areas to powder process versus, and then your next call is a domestic. So you're going to photograph injuries. And then your next call is a shooting. And now you have like three or four, five different things that you need to get done. And it's a really long shooting. So it just depends on your victim, how many victims you have or suspects, the offense, like what you're actually doing, like documenting wise. Are you just photographing? Are you taking measurements and doing a crime scene sketch? If you're processing the scene, what are you processing for? Is it an entire house for latent prints or do you have blood or do you have footwear photography you need to perform your favorite phrase. She's going to say it again. (laughs) Yeah. It just depends on the crime scene and how big it is. And is it indoors? Is it outdoors? Are you waiting for a search warrant? Do you have consent? So, yeah, I will tell you my longest case. I was on scene for, I want to say like eight hours and then an additional probably like three or four hours initially in the lab. And then probably another 20 hours of lab work over the course of week, just depending on at the request of the detective, what they wanted done for that homicide case. So sometimes it's not all at once. Sometimes it's like four hours here, five hours there. And it kind of just, yeah, I didn't know if like you were like on scene and you hit an eight hour work day and it's like, Oh, got to clock out. Oh you know. no. Okay. <laughs> you're just on overtime. You okay. leave that scene when you're done processing it. Yeah. That's what I figured. Yep. Cause people will ask me about that with doing hair. They're like, well, are you done after eight hours? I'm like, no, I'm here till I'm done. <laughs> you don't yep. just get to go. You know, those jobs are cool, but I don't have one right. of those. <laughs> exactly. And let's say you have like an hour left of your shift and something comes out and it's going to put you on overtime. Well, that, that happens. You know, we can't pick when crime is committed. So exactly. you never know. <laughs> yeah. And then, but you have a normal work day where you start at like eight or does that fluctuate? So I can flex my hours right now. I work seven to four with an hour lunch break and then we're on call. We have on call weeks. So for example, on Wednesday, I'll be on call. So anything that comes out overnight and on the weekends would be my case. Like I would come in and handle it. So I do work Monday through Friday, but by my old jurisdiction, I work the midnight shift. So I was 10 PM until 6 AM. And then my job before that, we rotated, we were essential employees, so we were 24-7, and we rotated every month or every other month. So I would be on days, evenings, overnights, like we would rotate. How do you plan your life? That's tough. You don't really. It is tough. It is, absolutely. Um, You have to really 
love this job because you are going to work holidays and weekends and you're going to miss events and you're going to see some crazy stuff and it's going to be hard. It can be hard, like mentally draining or emotionally draining. So, yeah. So then I, I guess my question for you, Jacqueline, is what's your why? Why do you do this job? Oh my gosh. I love it. I, so first when I was younger, I, I knew that I was going to work in the criminal justice system. I, genuinely love helping people. So I was probably 11 or 12 and I was asking for makeup so I could powder process for fingerprints outside. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's adorable. Um, That's cool. So so my my dad is retired Air Force. And so initially growing up, I thought I was going to join the military. And he asked me, go to college first before, before you join. And so I took, during my general studies, I took one criminal justice class And I was like, yep, that's my major. This is like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And so I majored in CJ and I fell in love with the criminal justice system. And don't get me wrong, we have a lot of problems in it, but I was just like, oh my gosh, I want to work in this system. I want to be the change that I want to see. Like, I want to be able to help people. This is my calling. I just need to figure out what area because there's all these different disciplines in the criminal justice system. Like, do I want to go into policing? Do I want to go into law? There's probation, there's rehabilitation. Like, what do I want to do? It was probably my junior year. I took a forensics course and I was like, yep, this is what I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going through forensic science. So I kind of fell off like the military path. And so I decided to pursue more of a forensic science path. And that's when I decided to get my master's in in forensic science. So I don't know. I've always known that I was going to help people through science. Like it's a, it's such an honor and a privilege to be able to. I don't think I'm brave enough to have a badge and a gun, but it is to be like the last responder and I get to deal with the crime scene and help people through science, which I think is so cool. <laughs> that really is. Do you ever have people that you've worked their case or family members of a case that have reached out to you years later and thanked you or anything like that? Or they don't, they don't necessarily know it's you specifically. Right. Because it's a joint effort. It's never just like, that's another reason why I love being in forensic science and working as a team because you're working alongside police. Every role in an investigation is vital and important. Even from the patrol officer that's just as securing the scene, that role is so important to me because of the evidence and the processing I'm going to do within that scene. And then what I do, if I don't do it correctly, could affect future lab examination. It could affect the detective. So all of our roles affect one another. And if you don't do it right, you can feel that. But it's so cool how it all works together. You always have to constantly be working together. Like in unison. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like a weld oil machine. Like all parts have to be moving and working efficiently. I'll get detectives that will stop and thank me or patrol officers. And I don't know. It's so nice because I feel like you're making a difference. Yeah. And you don't really realize your impact. I mean, you are so fascinating and your job is incredible. And I feel like we could talk to you forever. So Nikki, why don't we wrap up by just doing some fun, random questions? So a question that I always like to ask is what would be your last meal? Oh gosh. Um, probably breakfast tacos. (laughs) (laughs) 
Ooh. Okay. Are you going to make them yourself or are you going to get them from somewhere? I'm probably going to get them from somewhere. So down in Texas, they have breakfast tacos and they're amazing. They're amazing. What is that? <laughs> so I'm a You've vegetarian. You've never had a breakfast taco, Nikki? I literally swear to God, I've never even heard the word breakfast taco. You are live taco. in Southern California. You probably have the best breakfast tacos. <laughs> I've heard of like a breakfast burrito, but I've literally, I swear, have oh never heard of a breakfast taco. They're life changing. You need to come to Texas and you need to have a breakfast taco. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so well, now you have to tell her what taco? is it. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, just dep- it depends on where you go, but I'm a vegetarian and there is this vegan food truck. They do talk like breakfast tacos in Austin and they are amazing. They get crazy, like crazy with their vegetarian tacos. Um, that, that's what I would pick. That's interesting. Wow. You learn something new every day. <laughs> okay. I always like to ask this one. What do you have a lot of? Plants. Oh, there you go. Yeah, indoor wow, plants. Wow, I'm impressed that you can keep them alive. Are yes. they are they real it's or like, fake? They're real, and it's therapeutic for me. I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> plants. I love that. What is one of your hobbies? I am a runner. You do five Ks or just recreational? Yeah, I do like half marathons. Um, and I like hiking too, like anything outside, hiking, rock climbing. Like I like to just be out in nature, but running is something I've done since high school. If you could give your younger self, let's say 20 year old self, a piece of advice, what would it be? Like about the job or just in general? Just in general. Oh man, that you're going to be a different person in your thirties. <laughs> hey, and that is the truth. That is the it really is. truth. Yeah. And then, you know, you shouldn't have this fear of getting older because I think it gets sweeter with age and a lot of my victims are younger than 30. And so every time I get a little, I'm like, oh man. I'm over 30 now. And sometimes on my birthday, I'm like, oh man, another year. But I think like, this is a blessing because there's so many people in my line of work, like so many victims that never see this age. So growing old is such a blessing. And to like not fear it, but just embrace it. Whatever year comes, just embrace that next year. That's a good one. I I love that. Oh, this was so great. Thank you so much for chatting with us and answering all of our questions. And you have such a fascinating job and we're so appreciative of the work that you're doing. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate you. Yeah, so that's it. That's a wrap. Okay, awesome. So what'd you think? Okay, I loved her. I thought she was fantastic. I loved it. I enjoyed her so much. That's a lot of like organization yeah that now I'm thinking I can't do (laughs) she's me I was gonna say how do you feel now you feel like you can you know join the squad I could join the squad because I like this forensic and like all that part of it I don't know if the squad would want me because I don't know if the organization is going to be up to par with what it sounds like it's going to be. So, I mean, it definitely feels like a big component of that. There's like a lot of moving parts and a lot of things yeah. to keep track of. Yeah. So I would like to still be on the squad. I just don't know if um, I'm going to be invited because of those aspects. I See, but for me, the harder thing, I think, is... And because of my tendency to overthink things and Mm -hmm. be like hypercritical, I feel like I would lay at night in my bed thinking about the crime scene I just worked and if I missed something and if I didn't take the picture right or Mm -hmm. if I didn't get enough angles or because she said like once it's gone from there, it's gone. You know, being a true crime listener, like you've heard things where they're like, 
oh, the photos were bad of the crime scene or, you know, this, that. And it's just that amount of pressure because you can't go back. You can't recreate. I mean, maybe to some extent you can recreate things. But for, you know, blankly speaking, you got one shot, one shot. I think it's a cool job. I just don't know if it's would fit my I'm not you know, I'm not a spreadsheet person. So I think that that would be tough for me. But I love the job. I think the job is super cool. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I think she's fantastic. I think it's fantastic. And it fits. It seems like it would it fits her personality. I hope we get listener questions for her. And then we can bring her back on. Fantastic. And again, she was a guest referral. So don't be shy. Send us your people. We want to talk to them. Send them in. That was a great referral. All right. So what do you say we do it again next week? All right. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We do encourage you to follow us at Instagram at Body to Burial. Hit us up on Twitter at Body to Burial. And you guessed it, you can send us an email to hello at body to burial.com. If you have any guest suggestions, just let us know. Please hit the subscribe button or follow button on whatever app you are listening to. Thanks so much, guys. See you next time. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeats, B-E-E-T-S dot com and save 15% with promo code DEAL.